0: I think like airships represent some kind of like a freedom, uh, right? Because this is sort of before the outer space kind of thing with with spaceships, of course, which I think sort of took the took on the same role. Hello, Mister Vegas, the, the cat took on the same role as uh, the airships. I think before, right? So we're talking about what we think of the steampunk era, like sort of the eight, maybe even seventeen hundreds, eighteen hundreds, that type type of time period where. The airship specifically was. This is before heavier-than-air flight, before the Wright brothers. Obviously, that's in the twentieth century. Airships, right? And not exactly balloons per se. Uh, you, you know, you have the uh, the idea of a balloon. This is more like uh, sort of like a zeppelin or a, a blimp, right? Uh, uh, but a dirigible. But this is before that, right? And I don't think it used was using hydrogen. I don't think... Or not hydrogen, but I mean uh, helium. Although I wonder if they could use hydrogen. I know that uh, hydrogen was uh, much easier to, to get at than, uh, than helium, obviously, as you can make hydrogen out of water if you have an electrical circuit. Electrical... Right? I remember doing it in, in high school, you know, two electrodes of a circuit... And uh, around one, oxygen would form, and the other one, hydrogen would form. <clears throat> but his hydrogen, of course, is highly explosive. They blame that for the explosion of the, uh, the Hindenburg, you know, that not, the Nazi zeppelin that uh, blew up over New Jersey. Yeah. I keep wanting, I do want to visit that site. It's like this, uh, you can visit the site where the Hindenburg crashed. But it's on a military base, so you have to apply, and they have to, you have to do it like a background check on you, to make sure you're allowed in the military base. And I emailed them like, "Oh, could I record my podcast?" They're like, "No, no recording allowed because it's a military base." Okay, great. But then when I said I had a podcast, they're like, "Oh, well, if you want to contact us about getting official permission, and maybe I'll do that. <laughs> I don't want official permission. It's not going to be the kind. Of, I. It's not going to be the kind of podcast that they're looking for, right? Like." I'd like, they're probably imagining some sort of other kind of podcast that's profiling the the military base and their Hindenburg connection, but it would just be part of an episode of The Overnightscape. Maybe that would be okay. Anyway, airships. I'm talking about part real and part fictional airships. Uh, <coughs> so it, it it's more... I know there's a Jules Verne. This is very steampunk, right? So there's like a Jules Verne story or movie or something what was it called the island at the top of the world where they had one of these airships <coughs> um so it was like a large airbag and then underneath it was hanging off of it was kind of like the deck of a ship you know and um you know I've actually remind it actually is similar to one of the great lost uh pieces of uh disney world in epcot center of course Dreamfinders finders uh, ship right You know that the journey into imagination ride, which was probably one of the best rides they ever created, and then they demolished it. Why? (laughs) Why demolish it? I mean, I mean, it still exists at some level, but (coughs) they got rid of (coughs) Dreamfinder and his little purple dragon uh, figment. Um, You know, you go in and there's he's there's it's very similar to the kind of thing I'm talking about, the airship. He, he's like, why, hello there. I am the Dream Finder. And he creates this little dragon voiced by Billy Bar- Barty. Oh, Dream Finder, I'm just right. Ah, uh, ah, uh, ah. Uh. I'll throw in a dash of childish delight. Whoo hoo They're collecting ideas and visions for their imagination machines. <coughs> but, right, but that Jules Verne one where it's a similar kind of airship? Because... There also was one of these airships. I don't know, what is the right, is airship the right word for it? Again, it's a very <coughs> late 19th century kind of vision because there was a Sunday comic strip maybe between 1890 and 1910 about these, these these you know young people that had this airship and they were going on this amazing adventure. It was real. It was like a real comic strip. It didn't last too long. I forget the name of it, but then that influenced uh, Thomas Pinchon, the the writer. I guess you could say he he, he wrote electrical novels. I don't know. What is an electrical novel? I don't know. We'll get to that. (coughs) I'm actually sitting right here where the show art was, right next to the comfy blanket you see on the show art. But we'll get to that. (coughs) We'll get to that. Uh, (coughs) Let me have some coffee here. Can you believe it's 2024? very strange anyway the heck's going to happen in 2024 what the heck happened in 2023 or 2022 or 2021 or any of those years I think it's going to be a good year because as, as you may remember towards the end of the 20 teens or what, the, another decade without a real name and now we have the 20s the new 20s people aren't really talking about it it's, hey, it's the 20s you know Like the 1920s, this is the 2020s, yeah. I guess we're kind of not referring to these decades as much. I don't know, is it that these decades are not quite as distinctive? I know daily I think of the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, and then... (coughs) Right? It's not quite as distinctive. Even though I did listen to that tape of myself from 2003. And it's is—it's over 20 years ago now, and it is... uh, was quite a different time, obviously. But anyway, we're talking about uh, Thomas on His novel um, "Against the Day," I believe it was from the mid '90s. My favorite book by him. I haven't read all of his books yet, but uh, and I have found so many people that have read it and didn't like it at all. Um, this book, "Against the Day," is right up my alley. It's just—it's a completely insane, bizarre. Dreamlike journey. Uh, it starts off at the sh- at the uh, World's Columbian Exposition, <coughs> eighteen ninety three in uh, Chicago, and goes from there. Um, but one of the story elements involves um, an airship, exactly like, very much inspired by that comic strip. I, I I should look up what the name of that comic strip was, but but anyway. Um, I think they called it The Inconvenience, and it was sort of like this young group of young guys that had this airship, The Inconvenience, and it was that same kind of thing. It was like a, that long balloon type of thing on top, and then the deck and the, the part on the bottom where, where the people are. Is there a better word for that? I don't know, but you know what I'm talking about. And then as the book progresses, that airship gets bigger and bigger and more complex, and it's sort of symbolic of stuff. Um, the reason I bring this up is because I, I had these airships in, in my dream last this morning, which I only, you know, I knew it was a grand dream with all sorts of things going on, but I only remember, like, the last, like, five minutes of the dream involved these airships, and uh, <clears throat> I think they do represent freedom. I think that, you know, it's sort of a uh, one of the main human narratives in our lives is the, the various restrictions that we live with that we yearn to surpass. In so many ways, each of us finds ourselves slowly rising to consciousness and awareness from early childhood, which is vague and unrememberable, at least the first year or two, and then you start to sort of notice the situation that you're in and never sat, never being satisfied i think that's one of the another great human characteristic is that we notice that we seem to be aware at some level of greater degrees of freedom different way of existing but we find ourselves first and foremost in one single human body with various characteristics, and we can't really do too much to change it. Obviously, your human body, um, you know, you can exercise and become healthier, you can lose weight, you can gain weight, Um, you can change your hairstyle, you can get piercings or tattoos. Within a certain range, you can alter your body, but not too much. And then, of course, every person is pretty much affected by our size, our our relative weakness at many different levels, gravity, which of course binds us to the ground. So, whereas our motions can be mm, somewhat three-dimensional, going upstairs, for example, generally you're just sort of <coughs> able to move around on the ground, which is whatever the ground is, is you have to sort of deal with and you can walk Around the ground, and then if the ground goes up, you can go up. If the ground goes down, you can go down, but you're sort of limited by it. Meanwhile, seeing various uh, creatures that are able to fly and uh, and go up into the air the birds, bats, insects, and uh, the few flying. They're like flying lizards or flying snakes or something. Isn't there that sung? Isn't there like a kind of snake that climbs up a tree and then has like glides down, or am I thinking of something else? Flying squirrels, yeah. They can't fly like a bat, but they can kind of glide. Sugar gliders? Is that what it is? Sugar gliders? Is that like a pet? Exotic pets? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. So we see that other creatures can fly, and we want to fly, too. We we want, we're like, damn, I'm restricted, I can't fly, I want to fly, I think, and I think people, you know, people, you can fly in dreams, and I do think that the power of flight a human flight that is like a superhero like superman or shazam or whoever the ability as a human to just fly around i think is something that we sort of know in our in our hearts that we really should be able to do but we can't right now in this situation it was interesting that that uh game second life an early metaverse attempt still kind of exists um Every person, you know, you have an avatar. That's a human avatar, or, or probably a <coughs> more commonly a furry. There are a lot of furries in there. But anyway, <coughs> everyone just had the innate ability to fly in that world, which sort of made makes sense. Feels right. You know what I mean? Now I know, you know, what through what mechanism would we fly? And it sort of feels like some uh, capacity that has been lost. I mean, uh, there's. You, I mean, you could say it's simply by force of will you can fly. I know that doesn't make sense, but... Wasn't there that cult, uh, TM, where they they claim they can teach you to fly, or at least hover? I still haven't seen that documentary called David Wants to Fly, about um, David Lynch, truly a superb director of, of motion pictures and television. But he got caught up in that uh, TM cult... Like a few other people, like the singer Donovan, who has some great stuff, is also kind of a member of that cult and uh, very secretive. They they don't suffer from the same bad press that like Scientology, for example, gets, or the Moonies or the Hare Krishnas. They kind of fly under the radar, even though they are a similar style of cult. And, uh, <clears throat> yeah, this movie was about a guy that was trying to find out about it, David Lynch. David Wants to Fly. How they claim they can teach you to fly, but <coughs> you don't really see a lot of TM members just zooming through the skies. So I don't know. Anyway, um, yeah, I don't dig cults. I really, I don't like cults. I think they're uh, they're bad news. You know, it's almost sort of like a legal loophole to allow you to enslave people if you start a cult. Oh, it's a religion. I have religious freedom and brainwash people to do your bidding without paying them. It's not very cool. Now, I I know, if if you know my history, that it seemed like in the 1990s I was sort of trying to start a cult. If you look at my writings from back then, it seemed like I was heading in that direction. Thankfully, it didn't work. And uh, the, I, the only person I managed to convince to join my cult was me. <clears throat> and I was able to uh, leave the cult and deprogram myself from my own cult. <coughs> yes. But I mean, it was sort of the seeds of it was there. So, but it wasn't like I was saying, "Oh, I I I want to uh, control people and make lots of money, so I'm going to start a cult." It wasn't like that. I was I was really thinking it was something that was something good. It was something beneficial, you know. I, so I wasn't like I said, I wasn't really masterminding the. I, I was sort of a victim of my own cult <laughs> in a way. As I do think some cult leaders are. I think I think they are. I think not all, but I do feel like, for example, L. Ron Hubbard seemingly may have been caught up in his own cult. And was not just, I mean, you'd think there's a lot of evidence that he, I think he was quoted saying something like, oh, if you want to make a lot of money, start a religion and this and that. But I don't know. I think he kind of believed it. Not, not, not to forgive what he did and all the lives he's ruined and continues to ruin even though he is dead at this point but you know anyway i'm glad i did not do it i would not be a good cult leader anyway you know i wouldn't be very good at like you know disciplining my members you know it's just not it's just not me i'm not a good cult leader anyway flying so right the idea that now we can escape being earthbound, we can fly using uh, machines, a technology, and obviously we got to the point where heavier-than-air flight was invented, and it still freaks me out to see. Like I, I have to say, you know, where I live here in New Jersey, there's a lot of air lanes, and uh, you know, so you see a lot of airplanes in the air. Not so much the littler ones, but when you see one of those big, like well, I don't know, seven seven sevens, or those huge ships, ships, those huge airplanes you know, sort of coming in for a landing to Nork Liberty Airport. You see it there, like, up in the sky. Kind of low, though, because it's landing. And it just, it looks like it's going so slow, and it's so big. It just doesn't really make any sense. So, something about it still rubs me the wrong way. Like, there's something else going on. There's some... And I know there's various conspiracy theories that they're obviously real or... Because right, we've all been on these planes going various places, and it seems to work, like last year I w- went on a plane and it landed in Germany, and then I got another plane, and it landed in Italy. And then I was in Italy, so like I'm assuming it worked. <clears throat> I mean, of course, just imagine there could be a teleportation gateway at the right as you're walking onto that ramp to go into the airplane and you could sort of instantly arrive at your destination and then you're sort of knocked out and put in sort of a waiting chamber and you're given vivid hallucinations of having been on this airplane. And No, this does not make any sense. But that just the technology that they're using to fly may be slightly different than what they're saying. I know there was that conspiracy theory about <clears throat> the nature of the jet engine and the amount of jet fuel... They're claiming to put in these planes, and then it doesn't seem like there's enough room in the plane for that amount of fuel. There's all these kind of weird conspiracy theories. Not to say there's anything to it, but I just get a weird gut reaction when I see a big plane in the sky. Like, there's something not exactly right about it. <clears throat> yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what it is. I mean, it's obviously the Occam's razor simplest explanation is that it just is what it is. They're jet engines. And what do you want? And, you know, though there was that story fairly recently about, um, the theory of how planes work, um, how a wing works. They're saying that there were some alternate theories about it. Cause like the idea is that the shape of the wing creates kind of a, Higher air pressure below it and lower air pressure above it, which is kind of how it enables flight. But they were saying the math, the math was wrong or something. remember that article? <clears throat> anyway, <clears throat> so the dream I had this morning was it was really interesting, <clears throat> very detailed. It was steampunk. It was in it was in that steampunk era. It was in the Victorian age, the eighteen nineties or whatever and i was this uh young woman in the dream and i had my own airship i was like i was like an air explorer and um i didn't see my own ship but i sort of was remembering that i had it it was a small one it probably could only fit like two or four people in it like <coughs> it was a small airship but i had one so i was like this air adventure air adventurer girl in the dream and uh <coughs> So I was in this city. It kind of felt like it could have been New York or London or something. And um, I was visiting with these people, and they, there was some kind of a problem. They were stuck there or being suppressed in some way. And um, there were these this group of much o- older adults that had a really big airship, right? And I think I may have seen it towards the end of the dream, in the in sort of in the distance. So the idea was that I knew them and that they were going to help us because I was sort of under the in this condition as well. I sort of had this disadvantage or this suppression. Go- like, I don't know if we were prisoners or debtors or we weren't allowed to leave this city or something. Um, <clears throat> but so we were on the ground floor and I'm like, I just have to go up to the roof And those people can help me. So it was like this uh, moment where I was like, I can just go up the, start going up the stairs and heading up to the roof. And I I was walking up the stairs in this building. And I think this was slightly inspired by, um, there was that Doctor Who episode, the church on Ruby Road, where they sort of these people were living in the attic of these buildings and the weird goblins came in and whatever kind of may have inspired that. But anyway, I was going up the stairs and I was thinking, yeah, they can help us because they have an airship. But I'm like, well, I have an airship too, but mine is very small. And you know, I, this one will really help. And so I was going up the, and I'm like, I guess, cause I, I was kind of worried people were going to stop me, but I just started going up the stairs and I reached sort of the midpoint of the building up and there was this sort of sky lobby thing. And it was, um, <clears throat> trying to describe it cause I can see it in my mind's eye. It was like uh, there's big windows and it was almost like there was a central corridor kind of thing. And there, there was like a, a steampunk robot like rolling along from my left uh, to my right. And there were a lot of people milling about, but I guess no one really noticed me. And then there was kind of a, from the inside there was kind of a stairway going up to another level, but it was sort of all o- overlooking this, uh, Central atrium, kind of thing. <clears throat> so I continued on my way up. Again, I was kind of worried someone would stop me or notice me. And I got to the roof, and it was, um, <clears throat> there was this kind of slightly raised platform in the middle, and there was some kind of a display, almost like a farming or gardening display with these plants and stuff. And then, docked to the roof, was that big airship. Just, ve- I do believe it was there. And then the people I was thinking about. Like this man and this woman and a couple other people like they were there I'm like okay they know me and they'll help me and so I went onto the race platform and I was looking at this display but the people that were running it like looked at me like like can we help you like what why are you here like kind of that kind of stuff um I'm like no 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 I'm I'm just I'm not really here for this I'm just looking and they were on the other side so I was kind of craning my neck to see them, and I was like, Yeah, okay, I, I have to get over there and talk to them because they can help all of us <coughs> and then I woke up, it was this cool steampunk airship dream that's pretty wild um but yeah, I was thinking about it like as a kid like i'm I'm on this Facebook group for those uh there's there were these spaceship books uh a whole series of them what was it what is it called like Spaceship books um, um, And you used to just sort of find them at a bookstore And you would go nuts And you're like, yeah, I gotta get this book But I want to see if I have Do I have this? Oh, come on Kitty Uh uh-huh. Hmm I don't know the name of the group though Is it called Spaceships? Hmm. Vegas, what's going on? Why can't I get to the spaceships? Spaceships? Kitty? Hmm. Spaceships? No, it's a specific series of books. Hmm. Sorry, I'm 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 not really. Uh. The hell was the name of it? All right, hold on. I'll pause and try to find it. All right, I found it. I actually found it by using the I remembered one of the artist's name was Chris Foss. F O S S. Terran Trade Authority, that's the name of it, Terran Trade Authority, and it was a series of books about these spaceships, and we had them, and we just, me and my brother just absolutely loved these books, let me see if I can find, like, what it was, Terran Trade Authority, it it was, it was like, uh, something like 2100 or something, Terran Trade Authority books. Yes, yes, yes. Here it is. Spacecraft 2000 to 2100 A.D. That was the name of one of the books. <coughs> and and it was all a uh, <coughs> Terran Trade Authority handbook. Yeah. <coughs> and it, it was just these really cool spaceship paintings, and then they, they had some sort of information about the different spaceships and I think I may still have some. I might go into the basement and see if I have any of these books. But as I, I think like this fascination for spaceships is kind of, um, again, related to, <coughs> as a kid, just imagining if you had your own spaceship and then you wouldn't have to be constrained by all these things in life. You could just go in your own spaceship and fly around, go to different planets and stuff. You know what I mean? Let me finish this coffee here. supposed to be some kind of massive rainstorm today. I may have, because I don't know if I had the original copy from when I was a kid, but I think I may have picked up a couple of these books after the fact. Yeah, like before the internet, libraries and like bookstores were like that much more important. Because you could just serendipitously find this stuff. Um, Kitty? No, you can't go into the walls, Kitty. <clears throat> no, kitty. No, don't go into the walls. Uh, I'm trying to see if I, I, th- I really could have sworn I had one of these books, but I may not. Hmm. Any uh, any information? Let's see. No. How how could I not? Oh yeah, here's. I have one. I have one. Um. <clears throat> I think this is the one. I think I got this at the bookstore in Montclair, New Jersey. Yeah, great space battles. Yes, I have. So this, I do have one of these. It's a Terran Trade Authority Handbook of Great Space Battles, and these were just really richly drawn, um, you know, painted um, spaceships. Copyright nineteen seventy nine. Uh, excuse me. The Laguna Wars. The nightmare begins. Yeah, there's all these cool illustrations. The Forgotten Fleet, yeah. The First Clash. Space tanks, spaceships, mysterious liquids. Yeah. We just obsess over these books. Oh, that's a cool one. That red spaceship. was a particular style of spaceship that's so cool. Terran deep space troop carrier carrier Lima. Scene of an abortive mutiny just before the city ships break out. The delta-shaped craft are shown or... Space to surface personnel fairies with which she was equipped. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah, this this is really cool stuff. And someone wrote all these stories, like linking all these paintings together. I don't know, I don't know if these paintings were made for these books or they were sort of repurposed for these books. I'm not really sure. <clears throat> yeah, Montclair Book Center. Yeah, the uh, price tag was made in 2010. Wow, I, ten bucks great price <laughs> anyway so yeah that that facebook group people are like obsessed on these books and stuff but it's kind of like yeah it's like the, like our desire for for freedom and going beyond kitty relax yeah anyway that my my dream reminded me of it <clears throat> All right, yeah, I found uh, a reference about uh, this comic strip, right, Um, uh, it's called The Explorigator, and this is from the the Against the Day Pinch on Wiki. Uh, Harry Grant darts comic for the newspaper The World. The Explorigator featured the boy crew of the Explorigator, a fantastic airship that traversed the universe. It was manned by Admiral Fudge, a youthful adventurer and inventor, accompanied by a group of friends, also children his age, around nine or ten. Detective Rubbersole, Maurice Mizentop, Nicholas Nohooks, Grenadier Shift, Teddy Typewriter, and Ah Forget It. The Explorigator ran for fourteen weeks in 1908 and made an impression for its imaginative and visual creativity. And and I also read that it was it was sort of conceived as a a rival to Windsor McKay's um, Little Nemo's Adventures in Slumberland. Harry Grant Dart was born in 1869 in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. His first job was rendering crayon portraits for the National Crayon Company brochures. Hmm. He drew for the Boston Herald in the mid-1890s, but it was when the New York World arranged to send Dart to Cuba that his active newspaper art career began. In 1898, he was sent to Cuba by the New York World to cover the Spanish-American War as an artist. He sketched many important events, such as political conventions, in the days before photos were printed in newspapers. Dart rose to be an art editor for the world, and it was from this position, and utilizing the techniques he employed in many freelance cartoons for life, that the comic The Explorigator was conceived to rival the popular Little Nemo by Windsor McKay in the New York Herald. Dart did many amazing illustrations of futuristic aircraft for various magazines. Great examples of a subgenre of speculative fiction called steampunk, which came into prominence in the 1980s and early 1990s. The term denotes works set in or strongly inspired by an era when steam power was still widely used, usually the 19th century and often set in Victorian England. But with the prominent elements of either science fiction or fantasy, such as fictional technological inventions, like those found in the works of H.G. Wells, or real technological developments, like the computer occurring at an earlier date, Dart died in 8, 1939. So, yeah. Here's here's actually what the exp- Explorer gator looks like. It has, like, t- those two air tanks, wings, and... Yeah, the 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 ship section is sort of underneath. There's an exterior, interior section. Yeah, and here's another the Explorigator. Yeah, only fourteen weeks though. <clears throat> yeah, Admiral Fudge sets out to explore the moon, so he takes his ship up to the moon. Yeah. interesting stuff. Ooh, what is this? N- remember Nemo, the classic comics library? I think that's still going. I- issue 5 has uh, the Explorigator on the cover. Interesting. Obviously this comic strip would be in the public domain now, so do we have the complete the complete Explorigator comic strip? No? Yes? Maybe? Mm. All right, so I found a black and white archive at least of it. Hey, there's Admiral Fudge. He has a big hat with uh what looks like a swastika on it, which uh <laughs> since it was 1908, didn't have that meaning yet that it would at- acquire in uh when it was applied to the Hindenburg aforementioned Hindenburg airship. Yeah. It's only there's only 14 14 of them. Let's see yeah it, it is reminiscent of uh, little Nemo style. let's see what the very last one had going on here. the last Explorigator. <clears throat> Admiral Fudge comes back to Earth again. I wonder why they didn't continue it. Hmm. Try to zoom in here. <clears throat> that was the narrowest escape yet. And I'm going to quit the exploring game and write up something and. Dink teas and chess tournaments. Fighting's my trade, and danger I'm not afraid of. But I do have objections to being driven into, into the fruit business without fair warning. It looks like they're like on, they're sitting on broken watermelons or something. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if this really quite. <laughs> uh, so there's a giant frog. The writing is very almost illegible this giant frog is trying to get Mr. Fudge here if I escape with my life I'll join the little mother society and make my living selling violet what? And the very last frame saved oh that's not Fudge that's, that's one of the other characters the military character if it weren't for neglecting my duty as a soldier I'd go back and give you a, the good looking you deserve the giant frog jumps up to try to get him um hmm the end. <laughs> the hell, man. These airships. Come on. Anyway, as you may have noticed, I uh, brought back Tapeland, Yes, my project of uh, releasing audio and video of my old recordings, historical recordings, and uh, I think I, it's been almost a year since I've, I've done the project sort of felt like uh, putting the book together was like the main thing. The book is now done. We're going to be talking more about the book today, but um, the new OnSug Radio book with the more orange yellow cover. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, so it's really important to me to get back to Tape Land, because there's a quite a bit of stuff I really want to get out, and um, especially, I have some more videos I want to get out, but I started looking at some, and I just It's kind of overwhelming and takes a lot more effort to do videos. So I found a tape from 2003, um, May-June 2003 time period. Uh, This actually is now real early days of this show, The Overnightscape. I started The Overnightscape in March 2003, so we're now just a few months later. So this tape contained a few different elements. I only kept the dream set uh, that, that I described, the dream section, and I called it. Uh, this is Tapeland 170, the Aquarium Rock Gun, May to June 2003. I love that title, the Aquarium Rock Gun, because uh, <clears throat> one of the dreams I had, I, I was in an office and there was this little gun that shot aquarium rocks. Like I'm thinking, like you know, like that kind of coarse gravel that you would put at the bottom of, of an aquarium. Um, this was a gun that shot them, and I, in the dream, I was shooting this. Wall of the office, but the aquarium rocks like this sort of like almost like evaporated or blew apart because there was a force field. Um, so I love that. Uh, I love that phrase, the aquarium rock gun. That's a great title. Um, so yeah, there were just some, some weird dreams about a half hour of stuff, but there was other stuff on the tape that I didn't release because the main part was just me kind of talking about my situation and I had just gotten laid off from my job and um, talking about... Again, I was talking about that project that I thought I had let go of by that point, but I was still kind of talking about that cult thing I was talking about, the Oblivion thing. Not that it was meant to be a cult. You know what I'm saying. Anyway. Um, But I I made a lot of tapes back then, just audio notes about my situation in life, and I didn't find it particularly interesting to release and kind of annoying. I didn't listen to all of that. But one thing I did... oh Yeah, one thing I did was all sorry, one thing that was also on the tape that I did not include was my work voicemail from 2003, <laughs> uh, from when I worked at Scholastic Books. And it was right, I think I recorded it right at the point where I, I had been laid off, just for old time's sake or for reference sake. And it was a lot of voicemails from my coworkers asking me to do, work on different projects and stuff. And then different people calling me you know, like my sister would call me and my parents and my wife and it was just like and then some weird random people i don't even remember who they were would call me at work like i don't even have a work phone number anymore <laughs> like there's phones at our desk but no one uses phones anymore at work you use email or uh, teams or whatever but i have to say that like like things would be like hi this is steve who was my supervisor can you check out this file in adobe illustrator and figure out what's going on and I was so stressed out listening to this voicemail from work because it's like I I honestly barely remember any of this stuff, but it was all these tasks that I had to do, which obviously are all irrelevant now because it was 20 years ago. I don't work there anymore. None of this stuff has any importance, but it sort of feels like listening to it brought up weird, and, and I felt so uncomfortable because I felt like... Almost like in a dream where you're you're asked to do things, but you have no idea how to do it. Like I've had dreams where I'm in the Beatles, and yet and, and I'm on stage, and I, and the the song starts, and I'm like, wait a minute, I don't know how to play guitar. I don't I don't know these songs. What's going on? Like you know. So it, it, this being in real life, I hear all these people. Hi Frank, can you work on this on this job on this on the cover of this book? And like I have like from today's perspective, I have no idea what they're talking about. <laughs> But it was somehow much more – I'm still, like, stressed out from listening to it from a couple of days ago. It's pretty wild, right? Um, <clears throat> that was weird. And just sort of remember, like, just what a different world it was back in 2003. But also on the tape, this is a strange synchronicity because – and when I was listening to these dreams, I have no current memory of any of this stuff, Right? as as we talk about, you know, normal human memory fades over time. And uh, so these dreams I had no memory of. So it's just weird hearing myself talk about these dreams that I certainly don't remember at all anymore. Um, but they're very detailed. And, w- and one of the dreams I, I sort of went to the, this, the Brady Bunch house, right? And it's so weird because recently, I talked about a dream where I was sort of working for the Brady Bunch on this TV show. And then Mike Booty, the Midnight Citizen, he contacted me and said the same day I had that dream, he had a dream where he was working for the Brady Bunch. A slightly different scenario. Like the Brady Bunch as a TV show had just had kept, had was never canceled and had kept going to current day. And there was a, a constantly changing cast of characters on the show. Um, So we both sort of were working for the Brady Bunch in a dream. And then this dream from 20 years ago about, it was something like going to the house or something. It was like very similar. So more Brady Bunch dreams. It's weird. I know not everyone listening knows what the Brady Bunch is. It was uh, a TV show that was in the 60s, but in reruns it became uh, for my generation, Generation X became one of our favorite shows and a show that we really related to a lot. And we're Most I think most people in my generation were just obsessed by the Brady Bunch. Uh, Anyway, that's a weird, weird synchronicity. (laughs) But anyway, you can check that out. That the Aquarium Rock Gun. You hear the beginning of it? Is it is it on here? Can we hear it? I don't know. This works. Yeah. Dig that sound. Hello. It is. On an actual cassette tape. Seventeenth, two thousand and three. This is Frank Edward Nora, and I'd like to record some of the dreams that I had. Right, you can check that out. Yeah. Now it looks like the rain has started. Big storm. Should wash away all of the snow. There was a little bit of snow fell over the weekend, like an inch or two should wash it all away. It's going to get quite warm. I think by tomorrow morning, it's going to be almost 50 degrees Fahrenheit. But uh, yeah, those aquarium rocks, you know, that little, or gravel, I don't know the technical term for it, but the little black aquarium rocks. Um, I think I was inspired for the dream because I created a little product called Modern Sapling that I made a few examples of. It was like a little product I was going to sell, but I don't, remember exactly what happened with it. It was um. It was like a little decorative plant. So it, the pot was made of the um, a copper pipe end, right? And the soil was made of those aquarium rocks and then the tree itself was like two pipe cleaners that were sort of twisted together to make a plant. It was kind of a cool little minimal product. It was actually very cool. I do think I may have some examples of it in the garage too. Check out <laughs> these these products I created with no sort of scheme of how to actually do anything. I created it, then I just moved on to the next thing. I don't know. Uh, but also, I believe "Minor Sampling" was the name of the one of the albums by the band Fuzzy Doppner that I was involved with back around two thousand. I don't think I pre- I've really pr- preserved the album artwork, though all the songs on the album are, are in the archive. Yeah. I don't know, maybe I should try to preserve that stuff more. That's sort of the ongoing Tapeland project is also to preserve other things, graphics and things from the past. Anyway, that was the modern sampling concept. Anyways, today's episode is called Electrical Novel Time, as I sort of alluded to before. And I'm looking at the show art here that is wild so it's it's an image I I took this uh, a few weeks ago it was the crack of dawn the sun was just rising and there's a certain quality to the light in that very early morning that's so different and I was probably sitting on the floor in the living room giving my my kitties their T-R-E-A-T-S I don't want to say the word to get them excited but um, I looked up and saw this the quality of the light coming through the window and the trees and everything and I'm like, so I took a picture of it and uh, so when I was looking for some ideas for show art I kind of, I'm like yeah there's something about the quality of the light even when you just look at it as a picture there's something very magical about it. It is almost an electrical novel time that is electrical in that it's exciting and special novel in that it's sort of new and different that those few minutes of early day Right as the sun is rising, there's a certain amazing special quality to the light and to the feeling and everything. So, as far as the phrase electrical novel time, it it was kind of a serendipity thing as I've done a few times. Somehow I I found a bunch of old uh, typography catalogs from, you know, like 1912-ish, that kind of time period. Again, just like this other stuff we're talking about over a hundred years ago and they have all the different type samples um, where they type out different phrases and this book in question was uh... so i was looking at it i spent quite a bit of time looking at the different phrases this is desk book of type specimens borders ornaments brass rules and cuts from american type founders company night this is nineteen oh two actually nineteen oh two and uh... this font bradley italic is a font that I'm not familiar with the beautiful font. Um, in the 48 point sample, it says Electrical Winder Novel Time Clock. And so I just took from there Electrical Novel Time and uh, brought that into the artwork. Right? And then the, uh, the font underneath that is uh, I do see New Text Light. I used to really obsess on New Text, uh, the font by Ray Baker. You see it occasionally out out and about. Um, yeah, so you also see the couch and the the blanket, which sort of represents comfort. <coughs> so I think electrical novel time could have many different meanings. Like I was saying, uh, elect- a novel being electrical that means that means super exciting and different. Um, so I think that Against the Day by Pinchon could possibly be an electrical novel time. So the time you're reading it is that. Um, I also think sort of in general it kind of rep- – an electrical novel time kind of represents like your anticipated comfort. Like, oh, that TV show's on tonight. I'm going to sit down on the couch and watch it. It's, right, sort of sort of that, that ritual of comfort of, of – uh, anticipating a kind of uh, something that's stimulating and comfortable. <laughs> anyway, that's sort of what it means. But I, I love that artwork because I really, even on the JPEG on the phone, the quality of that light really is coming through, even though it's just a bunch of pixels. It's weird how that, right? You have the trees. It's like it's almost like two trees kind of touching because of the angles, and then you sort of see the. The mountain the hills in the distance and the sky and everything it's I don't know it's kind of beautiful and of course my um, cordless uh, shades from uh, blinds to go love those even though this one is kind of broken I have to I have to get it fixed at some point because the internal mechanism kind of broke but cordless so that you' don't, you don't have those damn straps hanging down you know those bug the hell out of me the mechani- mechanism is in the top and they've done they, they've done a lot better with the mechanism but it, it has a lifetime guarantee you can bring it back to them there's a blinds to go in 46 I can go route 46 I can just take it there to be repaired which I will do someday I suppose <laughs> anyway on a completely different topic um, there's this album uh from 1971 uh, called Moonshade by the Roger Webb Sound and uh, I ordered, a, a there, it's been reissued on vinyl for the first time ever um, from uh, Light in the Attic Records I think or some other company. Um, this is what it says about it because I, I, I definitely, because you can listen to it on YouTube in fact let's start listening to it here. It's sort of like this one of the coolest albums ever and uh, a good one to have on vinyl. I try to limit my vinyl purchases. So this is library music, right? It wasn't really for sale in stores. The Roger Webb Sound's Moonshade is one of the coolest records ever, originally appearing via the legendary DeWolf Library in 1971. It's a sumptuous jazz soul-funk instrumental set full of melodic melancholic yet sun-drenched songs rich with color and contrast. It was composed by self-taught jazz pianist Roger Webb and features vocal performances by Barbara Moore. That's right, the powerhouse library music duo. It, may, it makes Moonshade the perfect precursor and accompaniment to Barbara Moore's eternal classic Vocal Shades and Tones. It will come as no surprise that original copies, if you can ever find them, will set you back north of two hundred notes. Is that two hundred British pounds? Uh, Moonshade is a phenomenal showcase of Brit Maestro Webb's own roots in jazz. Those roots are served up here with a plethora of fast-stepping rhythms that truly give flight to the vocals of Barbara Moore as they soar in wonderful ways. Moore sings wordlessly throughout allowing her voice to act like another instrument in concert with the horns and keyboards, elevating the fine arrangements. This is a deeply beautiful record. I love this second song here. You sort of imagine a character walking along in the morning in the time of swinging London. Right. There's Barbara Moore. Yeah, library music is uh, relatively unknown, but it was sort of like it... You wanted if you were making like industrial films or educational films you could buy these records and then you would you could include this in your, your productions, you know, you pay them a certain amount. The album opens with the ornate baroque pop splendor of the sun-dappled melancholia of sunshine. Strings, piano, and wordless female vocals combine to create this brief beauty of unimaginable grace. cool gentle eyes featuring haunting and beautiful vocals, smooth jazz piano, horns, and a general easy vibe without being easy listening. If you know what we mean, you do. Just listen. The Pounding Heavy Lace is one for the beat heads, funky open drums with muted organ, bassy piano chords, and ace horns, sampled by Quakers for their great debut album on Stone's Throw, the nostalgic Yesterday, is wistful and beautifully melodic instrumental soul music with gorgeous acoustic guitar and flutes. It's followed by the light-lilting pedal soft, which features more Baroque styles, overflowing with flutes and harps. The bright, bouncing coaster is an easygoing, piano-led, guitar-driven swinger, whilst Grey Sigh," another, is another classic, real highlight. The more fantastic, propulsive drums and percussion, and plaintive, wordless vocals courtesy of Barbara. Speaking of which, the soft, sweet Rhodes jazz of the lilting Sweet Thing is another staggering showcase of the brilliance of Barbara. Just astounding. Yeah, this is a good one, too. Um, yeah, this is definitely, this is a, this is a good copy. This is well-written. And it's definitely selling it to me. I'm getting it today head straight past the honky-tonk, by-numbers piano, jaunt, cough-drop, and luxuriate in the soft, delicate beauty of the album's melodic, cyclical title track, Moonshade. Fragile flutes and acoustic guitar float across judicious judicious bass notes before giving way to slightly ominous piano, and again, those beguiling, wordless vocals. And then round again to the flute refrain of the intro, this time with the vocals to see us out. Majestic drama jazz at its finest, the cello and flute adorned sapphire is a fluid orchestral beauty, whilst Interweave rides with more urgency in its string and bass stabs. When the warm keys enter, it's a bona fide mellifluous wonder. The softer musette begins in beautifully gentle fashion before pivoting for a driving yet elegant piano middle section. It reverts back to the mellow intro for its outro. Understood? The melodic organ and prominent rhythm section running through reminiscence makes for a delightfully understated folk-funk instrumental, whilst the cool rolling piano feels of 7.30 for 8 seems to perfectly suit the phrase dinner jazz. It's no bad thing, come on. This classy, memorable set is rounded out by a half-minute mince of the Barbara-blessed Sparky. It's just over too soon. The audio for Moonshade has been brilliantly remastered by Be With regular Simon Francis. Oh yeah, Be With Records is the one that actually licensed this and created this, this new release. Ensuring this release sounds better than ever. Cicely Ballston's expert skills have made sure nothing is lost in the cut, whilst the records have been pressed to the highest possible standard at Record Industry in Holland. The original iconic sleeve has been restored here at Bwith headquarters as the finishing touch to this long overdue reissue. So, yes, I'm getting it yeah and I found out about it of course on in shindig magazine the best magazine ever which I get delivered to me from England every month let's see let's see if it's still available to buy yeah it's only twenty two pounds however many dollars that is twenty nine dollars yeah it it took me to the u s version yeah Bundle up with this autumnal soul, soul jazz folk with a woody funk. There's something so British about this kind of sound. A real settling into a cozy corner with a hearty drink feel. Nice. It's a blue, shades of blue cover showing the moon through a tree in a, in a somewhat abstract painting. And a very cool font. I may have seen that font before. It's kind of a, an Art Nouveau font. I love this stuff. I will actually play this record. Otherwise, yesterday and today I've been listening to uh, perhaps a long overdue deep dive into the music of Caravan. The uh, early '70s, well, '70s um, uh, band uh, that's part of the Canterbury sound scene, uh, progressive rock. So I'm listening. I listened to if I could do it all over again. I do it all over you, which is their second album, and now of course uh, in the land of pink and gray. Oh yeah, I'm on the, towards the end of Golf Girl, the first song on that album now. <laughs> So, I, I do want to get more into Caravan cuz they're so good. Good stuff, Caravan. This song is about a golf girl.
1: Golf girl selling cups of tea. Ask me I want one. Ask me
0: you can buy one Full right to brim So of course I'd better have one In fact I ordered three So I could watch the golf girl you see
1: she panted
0: me And laid her Good stuff, caravan man In other news, I went over to the liquor store the other day We, uh, Clifton Commons The liquor store there, um yeah, it's uh an interesting spot because it's it used to be the um the Blockbuster. We used to go to that Blockbuster video to rent videos back in the day. And then of course Blockbuster shut down and it became a liquor store. It's a good it's a good little liquor store. And uh what people might understand, not understand being from other parts of the world or the America is that in New Jersey to buy beer or wine, you have to go to a liquor store as well. I know that you go over to New York, for example, you can buy beer in a convenience store, in a 7-Eleven, at a gas station, whatever. Not in New Jersey. It's There's different laws in New Jersey.
2: Um,
0: so I went there to buy some beer, and um, we had a, a, a gift card. Someone gave us a Clifton Commons Spirits or liquor, whatever the store is called, uh little gift card, but I didn't know how much it was for. So my wife my was wife's like, oh, just get something for yourself that you might like. So um, I got a bunch of good liquors for uh, Christmas, but I picked up, um, I figured I could just use some more Mezcal, even though I do have a few Mezcals here. I love sipping straight Mezcal in the evenings. It's one of the greatest drinks ever. Um, so I picked up, a, you know, just the uh, Hoven uh, Illegal, which is one of my favorites and not too expensive. And then I walked down the aisle, and I looked over, and I saw it. A drink, a liqueur that has been unavailable for a long time, known as Chartreuse. And uh, they had the green and the yellow. The yellow contains honey, so it's not exactly a vegan. But the green, I have not seen this in a store in a couple years now because... I think what happened, and uh, this is just my impression of what happened, is this is uh, chartreuse is made by uh, a religious order of monks. And they uh, found that uh, the demand for their chartreuse uh, drinks skyrocketed during the pandemic. I guess everyone was at home making mixed drinks to drown their sorrows of being stuck in in, in isolation in the pandemic. So faced with uh, increased demand the monks could have increased production, but their main purpose is to, like, honor God in their prayers and stuff. This chartreuse thing is kind of a side thing for them. So they decided not to increase production, even though demand had increased. That led to uh, shortages and then hoarding situations. So that's why it has been gone from stores, even though... Apparently, it's, it was never gone. They never stopped making it. It's just a supply and demand thing and a hoarding. People are hoarding this stuff in their basement or something. Because certain mixed drinks, you need chartreuse, which uh, I think I talked about it on a recent episode. The Love and Murder cocktail is uh, chartreuse and, uh, was it Campari? Um, mixed together. It was so good. But you need chartreuse for that, and it's hard for people to get it. So I saw it, and I and I was like, I had to get it. It's not. It's like sixty-five bucks for the bottle, though. Of chartreuse here. It's a beautiful label, sort of a matte label, green and gold and black and white. Chartreuse liqueur uh, fabriqué par le père Chartreuse, product of France. let's see what it says on the back here I have I'm going to try a little sip I I don't know if I've tried because before the shortage I didn't I never I always saw this in the store I never really thought twice about it Chartreuse is is also a color green based on the liqueur I believe and it's also the subject of a of a Mandela effect a lot of people remember Chartreuse being like a shocking pink and they did a Chartreuse uh, Mandela joke in uh, Rick and Morty on one episode when they were Fighting atomic punks with mohawks or something—I don't know. By the way, that show is just—it's so—it's—it's <coughs> it's gotten pretty bad. I mean, I do watch the episodes, but it's not—it's so bad, it's not even really worth worrying about. Chartreuse is made only by Carthusian monks of the La Grande Chartreuse near Grenoble, France. Chartreuse today is still made from one hundred and thirty Alpine herbs, according to an ancient 1605 formula. The secret method of preparation is shared by three Carthusian brothers and is protected by vows of silence. Chartreuse is sold in America as a green or yellow liqueur, the latter being sweeter and milder. Each type is also available in a rare VEP. I don't know what that is. The only liqueur to have a color named after it, Chartreuse is also famous for a flavor and fragrance totally unexpected, remarkably beguiling, unique in all of the world. Chartreuse is the most popular, is most popular mixed with tonic or soda in a tall glass with ice, accented by a slice of lemon or lime, but can also be enjoyed on the rocks. So... I got it. I got it. I only bought one bottle. I mean, you know, I don't want to go crazy with it, but um, it just feels like this thing that was unavailable. But, of course, what has been available, and as I talked about on the show, is the veg- Vegetal Elixir. They continue to make available. Why is it that I'm smelling or tasting it, even though I didn't open it yet? That's that's weird. The Vegetal Elixir is is using the same 130 Uh, herbs, but it's a much more concentrated version, and that's still available. I I, I still have a bottle of that. That's really cool, too. Anyway, let me just... I want to just drink some of this straight just to really get... I don't think I've ever had chartreuse straight, just to get a little taste of it.
2: Mm
0: Alright, I got a glass, but first here's that Rick and Morty piece. It's like a road warrior thing.
1: Morty, shoot the mohawk guy! They all have mohawks! High fade, chartreuse with cyan highlights layered on top! Shoot him!
0: Ah! Light them up! Yeah! See the sh- Get in the game, Morty! Give me your blast! Yeah, it was pink, not, uh, not green. Is is there a, another reality where Chartreuse is like a shocking pink color? <laughs> the the drink. Mandela effect. Let's see what they say about it here. Chartreuse Mandela effect. Hmm. See, for those unaware, those who experience this particular Mandela effect say the original chartreuse was the colors pink and magenta mixed together. But in this video, the color is yellow and green. Hmm. I've always known chartreuse to be a reddish-pinkish mess of a color. Chartreuse is a French liquor, liqueur, kind of beige. These people are all very confused. Do you ever notice people are very confused? It's clearly green. The drink is well in this timeline, but there could e- as easily be another me sitting in another timeline where uh, this bottle is full of a pink liquid and a pink label. And I'm talking about—can you believe people thought it was green? <laughs> Let's see what we got here. Just to have a little taste. Oh, it's not—it's not a mint sealed anymore. Yeah, baby. There's some chartreuse. Very rare stuff. I think I just got lucky. But I I was reading that people are saying that there are shipments that come in, and the reason they're not on the shelves is, is that, like, whereas I just bought one, someone would see that and buy all of them and store it, you know, like, they're they're like uh, hoarding it. Let me see if there's are people selling chartreuse for like a profit. What was that website with that those incredibly inflated prices? Remember that? Someone selling a bottle for one twenty nine. Jeez, what was that site? Something. Remember that site where people were selling it for like such an inflated value? Well, Drizzly's selling it for ninety. I, I got I paid sixty five. I want to see, what was that? It was called something, um, It's called Cask Cartel, right? And it's like an eBay for liquor. And they s- sell everything for like three or four times the actual value. <laughs> it's like, uh, what a weird website. So like, yeah, I'm not going to buy anything on there because it's ridiculous. But I want to see if they're selling chartreuse. They'll probably charge like $1,000 for it. Yeah, yeah, let's see. <laughs> I, I, I really hope. Yes. They're selling it for $299.99 for the bottle. <laughs> 300 bucks for the bottle. I knew I knew they would have a, an outrageous price for it. Wow. Anyway, we have a, a little bit. So yeah, it, it's a beautiful sort of if you look at it, it's almost like sort of a, a swamp green color. Very beautiful. Yeah, this is very different than the the vegetal elixir. Which in France is sold as a medicine, but they're not allowed to refer to it as as having any curative properties here in the U.S. because of the laws of the Food and Drug Administration. Wow, this is just very different. It's a very... It's giving me a sense of like... Fairgrounds and cotton candy and popcorn. Wood. Hope. It's sort of the smell of hope. (laughs) But there's something else in there. I'm I'm struggling to identify. There's a scent. Yeah, kind of wintergreen candy. Yeah, something like that or was there's a certain certain candy i'm getting um it, it could have been those Wint, winto mints uh those remember those like uh pink mints chartreuse no no not chartreuse pink pink mints canada mints they maybe they were no i'm getting it now neko wafers yes N- Yes, there's a certain flavor tone in those Neko wafers, which I think are no longer made because New England Confection Company went belly up. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. This that weird flavor in Necco, Necco wafers. Let me see, Necco wafers. <coughs> I, remember, I remember the urban legend was that you could use Neko wafers to pay your fare on the like on the, the parkway instead of you know you in the parkway before they had all the electronic means of paying. Used to have used to put, you had to throw coins in the hopper, or you used to get like a parkway token. But people say you could use Neko wafers. <laughs> oh wait, it's back! Neko wafers are back. Are they back? Uh, yeah. I guess I guess that new company bought them. Uh, but yeah, still contains gelatin. Gelatin, <coughs> so it's. Not acceptable for vegans or vegetarians. Mm. It's back, but yeah, they're like these these sort of discs of candy, very different than current candies. echo wafers return. Is there like an article about that? Necco wafers returned to store shelves in 2020, complete with their original wax paper packaging, say. They couldn't have made it vegan, though. I mean, how? Mm. Necco wafers make their triumphant return two years after, dot, dot, dot. The factory that made them closed its doors, yeah. Yeah, so Neko closed in 2018. So I, d- I don't know if, uh, <clears throat> like, Mary Janes are still being made. I think they made them. Squirrel nut zippers, yeah. Well let me see, Mary Jane Candies. We used to get them at um uh Michael's crafts. Hmm. I guess they're in this different form now. They're in sort of a cylindrical form rather than the slab. No, I need the slab form, not the cylinder form. What the hell? These are like fake Mary Janes. What the hell's going on? I I want the difficult-to-open slab wrapped in wax paper where you have to sort of pick at it and then it all sticks to it, you know? You know what I'm talking about? And then you have to get enough of the paper off to feel like you're not really eating too much of the paper, which is probably not going to kill you, but you know what I'm saying. Anyway, let's take a sip here. Every time I smell it, it smells different. It's very cool. 130 herbs and spices and only monks, who conveniently have taken a vow of silence so they can't tell anyone the recipe. Wow. That is impressive. Again, there's all these different sweet candy-like flavors dancing around. It is a very bright and hopeful flavor Kind of like the light in the morning mm. Really good Certainly in the same realm as that vi- the elixir But this is, seems more developed as a flavor Really cool Well, I better make this bottle last. This may be the last one I'm going to be able to find for a while. Plus, it ain't cheap. Mm -hmm. Yum, yum. Delicious liqueur. You know, I was looking at the cover. An electrical novel. Like, that could be a weird alternate way of saying a TV show. An electrical novel. Right. Like a TV show is like an electrical novel, but it's played out on a screen using electricity. Indeed. So yeah, as you may know, the the new Onsag radio book is out. It just came out a little over a week ago. I spent uh, pretty much about a year working on this new edition, which seems counterintuitive considering there already was an edition. But I completely rebuilt it from the ground up with all-new typography and an all-new design sensibility. Um, and I'm super happy with the results um, on many different levels. If You, you can uh, buy a copy, and uh, this book is, is priced as low as possible, so I don't make a, any money off this. this is, you're just sort of paying for Amazon to print a copy for you from their book printing machine in, in Delaware. Um twelve dollars and fifty nine cents currently. Very cheap, very cheap price, I would say. Um if you just find it, you can go to onsug.com, uh, click on the sidebar where it says, Get the book. And then it says the new book is finally available to buy on Amazon. You go there and uh this book is uh is there. Twelve dollars and fifty nine cents. What else can you get for that much money? You can't even buy lunch for that much money these days. Um, definitely grab a copy because these books this new version Uh, The cover especially (coughs) um, has a certain look to it. As you'll see, if you see the book, it is uh, very distinctive in its graphically. It really stands out. And I think that the more copies of this book that are out there randomly on people's shelves and thrift stores in the 2030s and 2040s and what have you, every copy of this book, who knows how many people as – the time goes forward, as the timeline continues forward, we'll encounter one copy of the book and discover this archive of audio that we have. Um, So please, uh, if you can, buy a copy as uh, one of the hosts on Radio, the Meanderer, there in West Virginia, bought a copy of the book and uh, took it on a a little photo shoot. He's like, intercepted a package on the way to lunch and took the opportunity for a photo shoot. (coughs) The the Dying Mall is my favorite. So here's the back of the book, including a, a, a picture of the meanderer walking in the snow on the back. And here, yes, what an amazing image. This is on Facebook. Uh, the OnSug Radio book in a dead mall in West Virginia on top of a cuddle cart machine. I guess where you, you, you can get a shopping cart. You pay for a shopping cart. Uh, there's a sign for the J.C. Penney, the Mall Street dining. Oh, and there it is on top of the cuddle cart machine. Fantastic. Here it is outside with some weird sculpture of a guy playing the banjo, and there's the book. And here's uh, the book reflected in a Christmas ornament on some sort of outdoor Christmas tree, and another shot of that. So thanks so much, Meanderer. I also see the Meanderer um, was looking for an apartment apparently in this <laughs> building with the giant number 209 on it came up. Yes, go live there, please. I would love to live in a Building 209. Of course, as much as 209 has become a huge thing for me and uh, some other people, we still don't know what it means. So, uh, you know, if it turns out to be something really bad, (coughs) I don't think it will, though. But I don't know if you want to be living in a building with 209. If it turns out to be something bad, I think it's going to turn out to be something great. And not something bad, but yes, I love that picture. Thank you, meanderer. And I um, got, a, got a mysterious f- phone call related to this book. Um, it's on my old, my old phone number, which we still have through some sort of digital service, which is probably a waste of money at this point. But um, <coughs> I think, well, listen to it first. And then I'll we'll we'll talk about it. Here's the uh, the phone call from the other day.
2: Hi, good day.
1: This is Johanna, and I'm leaving this message for Frank Edward Nora, the author of this book entitled Unsolved, Un, unsolved Radio Broadcasting from Inside of This Book. And the reason for this goes, we would like to invite the author to a 2024 Los Angeles Times Festival of Books. Stephanie, you are or oh, do you know the author of this book? Please do reach map the number 929610.
0: Again, it's 929610. Thank you, and have a great All right, so I listened to that again and uh, did some more research, because the, what did the call, say hi, this is Johanna, and she, I'm calling about this great new book, The Unsolved, no, Unsolved Radio. And they wanted to invite me to the Los Angeles Times Book Festival for 2024. So using that bit of information, I was able to find the likely source of this call, which was a company called Author Solutions, which there's a lot written about it online. It's one of these companies that takes advantage of people who uh, are trying to become authors and self-publishing this is similar to all those inventor scams out there. Are you an inventor, or do you know an inventor? Um, and of course, uh, I've talked about in the past the <laughs> National Library of Poetry, where um, you submit your poem, and it's accepted. How many copies of the book do you want to get? And there's the, they actually publish these books, which are these phone book size, apparently books, uh, where they publish every single poem that was submitted to them. And then they sell them for, like, huge amounts of money so these people can have copies that their poems been published in. Um, so these things obviously are taking advantage of someone who's looking to establish themselves or make a living and as an inventor, as an author, as a poet, or maybe as a paperback writer, you know. Um in this case apparently the scam is they're selling services one of which would be they actually have a booth at this apparently it's a real conference this uh, festival of books and just from what I read they have a forty five hundred dollar package where that you are allowed to sit at their booth for X number of minutes and sign copies of your book for the public Um, never mind there's no what you would normally think, there'd be some sort of um, selection process and some sort of vetting process, but they apparently, because of this book, they apparently, I guess, try to contact every single person who's made a print-on-demand book on on Amazon. And uh, apparently people are, are, you know, are uh, being taken by this scam. <coughs> I mean, I know they say let the buyer beware, caveat emptor, but, you know, I don't think that someone would get any actual benefit necessarily from spending that enormous amount of money (coughs) to sign a book where, I mean, normally a publisher does publicity for you, advertising, promotions, and, you know, so a real publisher would do those kind of things. This is just sort of a scam. So I guess anyone that publishes a book will will get this call. It's kind of sad. Kind of sad indeed. Um, one thing that's referenced in the book is the Onsug Radio Vault. Now this is something I've had for quite a while which is just a uh, essentially a zip file containing lots and lots of files uh, as reference materials and um, I greatly expanded upon this and have uh, released a new version of the Onsug Radio Vault the description of which is in the book but it may not be obvious what it is or where to get it so if you go to um, Uh, the uh, OnSug radio archive on the Internet Archive and then find channel 202 202, overnight Skate departures 2 and if you then uh, go to sit where it says zip and click on the carrot pointing down you'll see that there's three files this is sort of historically the three um, uh, versions the original OnSug radio vault which is 209 megabytes as a zip file then there's the OnSug vault which is 478 megabytes Uh, And then the newest one is OnSug Radio Vault December 23, which is um, one gigabyte zip file. And it does contain a lot of fun stuff. Um, So let's just go through what it contains, um, starting off with uh, a PDF of the book as it exists. And then, of course, one of the main things there is the last Obliviana site. So it's um, all of my old websites, including all my old writings and the old Bluff Cosm site, uh, New Time Radio, Severe Repair, Zope Comics, Think Fang, right? That is uh, the last Oblivion site. Then we have more web archives, including. Uh, and some of these have already been in there and some are new. The best README files ever. These were those uh, README files on the fonts that Mike Jitloff created. And I was able to save the README files, which were absolutely amazing. Um, And I got his permission to publish them. My Delicious Links page, which is thousands of web links uh, up to 2015. Uh, Obscure Literature. This is these two lost web pages that list huge amounts of obscure novels and writings and things like that that uh, I saved from utter oblivion. Uh, Stuff I sold on eBay in 2003. Just uh, the photos of all the stuff I sold or perhaps failed to sell on eBay in 2003. Interesting stuff. <coughs> the Overnightscape show art page. This is a page. I go on this page all the time. It's uh, theovernightscape.com slash art. And this is just the version up to the end of October 2023. We can see all the show art as 300 by 300 pixel uh, images. This is sort of, I view this sort of as sort of a graphic rep- representation of this portion of my life. <coughs> and the Rampler and WFMU playlists is just uh, the web archives of the playlist pages, including the chat rooms for that one summer when I was on the actual radio in 2009. And then we have more books, and this is new, something that was available online, but very obscure, um, the scans of all the print issues of Anything But Monday magazine, a scan by a man named Neon Vincent in 2010 to 2011. He released them on, I think on Demonoid, the now defunct torrent site, but if you ever wondered about this Anything But Monday magazine, all the scans are in there. For better or for worse. Uh, An old reference book, um, an old ancient predecessor to this book, Onsug, Overnightscape Handbook 141. and the previous books, uh, Onsug Guide from 2015 and The Onsug from 2021, we have uh, PDFs of those. Uh, Then in the art section, we have a a new thing. It's the At the Circle comic by my brother John. This was on a site years ago, called Walrus Comics by friends of uh, Dave Copperman, who's been on the channel a few times. Um, It is a comic that's sort of inspired by the Evil Farm video, so you can check that out. The Balby Type SVG, which I released last year. My fonts from 1995 in SVG form. That Cyber Grandfather deck. Remember I made that one copy of that AI tarot deck uh, with AI artwork of these... uh, Cyberpunk shopping plazas with grandfather clocks in them. <laughs> you can get all the base art there. The Gene Shepard 1956 postcard scan that was in there in the past. Onsug radio logo. These are old logos. Onsug stash art. Pocket Over Nightscape art. <coughs> and uh, this is interesting because that contains the original images of that night city at night shot of Valparaiso, Chile that I've used on every cover of every edition of the book. And then uh, in the miscellaneous section, we have a desktop wallpaper. This is just a, fo- a r- sort of a random photo from Disney Disneyland Paris at night that I personally have been using as my desktop background for years and years on every computer I have. So it's it's like a, a shot of like a sailing ship at night at, from Paris Di- Disneyland Paris. I just wanted to make sure I never lost that picture. That's why I put it in here, and you could use it too. And then the Fanzo Foon dice game rules. Um, a long ago game I put together, and uh, and also Night Station Ride One PC version, and uh, this is the uh, <clears throat> an actual you can run this on your PC. <coughs> um, <coughs> the demo of the VR ride I, I created back in 2014. So that's what's in there. So you can grab that again. It's Onsig uh, Radio Vault December 23, and it's about a gigabyte and has all this good stuff in there. You can just spend hours pouring through all of the fun contents of, of the, uh, the vault. So I figured I'd just let you know about it. There's some new stuff, again, new stuff in there, old stuff in there, lots of fun stuff. Anyway, in other news, I finally got to try the Reese's vegan peanut butter cups. <laughs> and, uh, We're gonna, I was going to save them to review, but they were so good, we, we, ate, we ate the packages we had. I guess they were at Target, so they're finally available after hearing about these for years and years. I mean, as, uh, you know, I turned vegan from vegetarian in, back in 2018, and uh, so I guess technically speaking, I haven't had any regular candy since then. I mean, I've had so much regular candy up till then, how many peanut butter cups have I had? over the years, but I guess I haven't had one in five, six years. I mean, there's other vegan, other brands have vegan versions of it, but um, it's called Reese's Plant-Based Oat Chocolate Confection and Peanut Butter, two peanut butter cups, and it says vegan on it, so um, it was good. Uh, Basically, it... it, uh, The taste is – it's a little harder than a regular peanut butter cup, but it is very creamy and rich and delicious. And um, I'm happy these companies are finally coming around. But it was missing something. You know with the peanut butter cups, it's in a package and then there's a cardboard tray, like a white cardboard tray. And then each peanut butter cup has this like paper on the bottom, right? Almost like you know, like a cupcake has that paper thing on the bottom that's corrugated on the sides. You know what I'm talking about? Peanut butter cups have a sh- shallower version of that. That is on the bottom of each one. The plant based ones don't have that. They took away the paper for some reason. It's very strange. I, I, I was very confused that there was no black paper at the bottom of them. But they they were good though, and I will definitely get them again. Um, they're very good. And it just goes to show that you don't have to uh, include uh, animal secretions in, in every piece of candy ever. Get out of here. Some of us don't want those secretions. Please. Please. Alright, we're outside on the porch now. It is raining out here. It's a very gray, rainy day. So... Right after I got the chartreuse at the Clifton Commons, I we needed to get gas, so I stopped at the gas station on the corner there. And uh, it's one of these gas stations, it's on the corner, so it's much easier for me to go on the way home, right, enter the gas station, and then I can just exit on that road, and then it's easy to get home from there. Whereas going there the other way, like, it's I don't know how easy it is to get out of there to go back to the Clifton Commons shopping complex or, right? So it's a certain direction. So I, I, I went there on the way home. So the thing is, at the corner of the gas station, they have a diesel pump. So I normally like to pull in and then pull around, so I'm pointing in the right direction to get gas. New Jersey also has gas laws in terms of you're not allowed to pump your own gas. And I think this is the last location, perhaps on the entire planet Earth, where you have to have the attendant pump your gas, and you can't pump your own gas. Uh, <coughs> anyway, there was a truck from a, de- a delivery company at the pump, at the diesel pump, that completely blocked my ability to do my usual maneuver. So I had, I just kind of pulled around the other way, and then I was facing the wrong direction, thinking that <coughs> it will be e- it, as long as they. Leave before I leave which would make sense because they're already halfway done with their fill up um, I should be able to pull out onto the correct road so you know the attendant comes over said fill her up and uh, and I look over like a minute later so I see the other side of the truck right so I can't see the the filling up, but I can see <coughs> all this liquid is pouring out of the truck. <coughs> I think instead of pumping the diesel into the actual gas tank, it's actually just pouring out onto the ground. I don't know if it's because they put it in wrong or it, it got full and then it just kept going. You know, Usually it has some sort of mechanism to detect if, the, if, if it's full and stop pumping. Anyway, so the attendant had to run over, everyone was screaming and shouting, and it's this whole thing. And I know because my brother-in-law used to work for a gas station company, and um, he was actually, at one point, he no longer works there, at one point he was the guy, like on the weekends, any of these gas stations in the entire United States would call if they had a spill. Because if you spill <coughs> gas, gasoline on the ground, you have to report it, and... So he was the guy. so he, he would get calls at all times out in the Midwest the gas station spilled some gas so he had to, you know he was the guy. Um, so they take it very seriously. So yeah, it took me a while to leave because they were trying to figure out how to stop the diesel pouring out. though it is a different kind of fuel. It's still uh, like in a liquid form, right? yeah. diesel fuel <coughs> Anyway, that was a rather interesting phenomenon. And then by the time I was leaving, it still was there. So I had to go out on the other road. Luckily, there was no one there and make a right turn, yada, yada. It was really no big deal, but I would have preferred going out the way I preferred my gas station ritual. Anyway, there's a few uh, projects out there that I've been following for a long, long time. That have never been released, but are supposedly going to be released (coughs) maybe this year. And uh, I kind of enjoy following these things. There's something about it. It's eventually going to come, but it's super, super delayed. Uh, The first one is um, a device called the Hero Tribe. This is from a company called Behringer that creates... uh, synthesizers groove boxes and various types of audio equipment and a lot of times what they're doing is they're actually copying what another company did such as let's say a moog synthesizer they'll copy it and call it like a like vogue or instead of moog or something like it. not that exactly but they'll do that they'll give it a, a similar name and um they're somewhat controversial because like what is it, that, that Mini Moog Model D or whatever that is, uh, if you want to buy a new one it might cost thousands of dollars, this one might cost $200. So it means that like people are actually able to buy this and it's very, very, very similar, but they copied it, but according to the laws that exist, it's okay that they copied it, right? Because patents do not last that long. Um, <coughs> the circuit diagrams and everything would have been patented, so they're no longer protected by uh, intellectual property and then um it's just a matter of uh you know copyrights and trademarks which you can get around and I'm sure their lawyers give them the parameters and but anyway there's been this issue of <coughs> super super expensive you know audio equipment that you know why does this cost $5000 if this o- other company can make it for $200 right Um, Is it just the name? Even though Moog has kind of collapsed. They were bought by another company. So many people got laid off. They're going to start making everything in China rather than North Carolina. So that company is kind of finished in terms of what they were anyway. That's M-O-O-G, which is apparently pronounced Moog, but a lot of people say Moog. I always thought it was Moog before I started hearing people talk about it, and it's Moog. They had one called the Moog Rogue, which kind of... Rhymes, but if it was moo grog. not yeah. anyway i've I've been very fascinated with um, the synthesizers over the years. I have a couple of them, but it's one of those things of just you know having to pick and choose what you're going to spend your energy and your free time on, and uh, so I've had to kind of bypass the whole synthesizer electronic music stuff, though I have such a love for it and I almost got involved in the Eurorack stuff. Um, <clears throat> guy at work started getting into it. It's this endless money pit of f- sort of creating your own ultimate synthesizer using these uh, components that are... Eurorack is like a... It, it's, it defines a size, and you can sort of screw them into these, these uh, mounts and these um, <clears throat> cases, and they all sort of work together. So you can get sequencers and filters and oscillators and everything else. And I started getting into Eurorack, and I'm like, it's thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars that you can sink into just making one of these things. So I never did, but I have been following Behringer. I do like, you know, the idea of some cheap, fun little stuff. And one thing I've always wanted is just a little groove box that can make music just on its own. So it has a drum machine, it has synthesizers, sequencers, arpeggiators, etc. And uh, they announced, I think back in 2021, I think, uh, something called the Hero Tribe. This is Behringer. And the guy that this Japanese designer, uh, Hi- Hero something, he created the uh, a little groove box that was like the Korg. I forget what it was called. Mini Korg or something. It was, it was a little again a little groove box that did drums and synthesizers so the hero tribe which was apparently the design was completed years ago now um, is something that they are saying they are going to release but of course there was this huge supply chain issue during the covid pandemic and uh, so the products are very slow in coming out so who knows when or if the hero tribe is going to come out but it is a cool little device that will be fairly inexpensive uh, $100 or $200 in that range and um, <coughs> just a, I really want to get one of those and it just never comes out it's just been endlessly delayed and no one knows when it's coming out so um, so I keep looking online all the time if, if Hero Tribe is out yet and it's not it could come out at any time so I'll get one eventually the next one of these things is uh Something I find rather interesting, it's uh, The Bazaar, B-A-Z-A-A-R, The Bazaar, and this is a game being developed by this guy named Raynad, who was at one point a Hearthstone streamer, pause there for a second, the postman came, and delivered what looks like the record in question, Moonshade, looks like I got it, Yay! So Hearthstone is a card game made by Blizzard based on their World of Warcraft universe. Came out, uh, at least in terms of... When I started playing it, I started playing it around... I think it came out in um, 2014. And I started playing it in 2014 at some point. I think I started playing it around the time the Goblins vs. Gnomes expansion came out, the first expansion. I've been playing it ever since. I never stopped playing it. I've pretty much played it every day for 10 years. So it's got to be a good game. Though Blizzard, the company, was bought by Electronic Arts and now has had endless controversies and issues and problems and they've been ruining their games. Like, I would say Overwatch is a game that I used to play quite a bit. Um, then they discontinued Overwatch and came up with Overwatch 2. And Overwatch 2 really destroyed any interest I had in, in continuing to play Overwatch. Um I'm getting on a sidetrack here with Overwatch. But basically, Overwatch was a game you had to pay for. So it was whatever, $40, $30, $60, however much it was at any given time. And um, this is a game where they're continually adding new content. And they're like, well, because you paid for it, you get everything for free, right? So lots of new characters come out. that You can play as those characters. New new (coughs) um, battlefields of new places to fight, and cosmetics, all sorts of things. Skins. The skins are not free, but the characters themselves are free. And, and, the, and it was based on a loot box system, which was controversial, basically. you would, As you played, you would build up experience points, and you would get these loot boxes, and then you'd open it up, and you'd get random stuff in there. You might get a bunch of crap, or you might get like, my god, that's the super valuable skin that I really wanted for my character. And it just sort of made it feel that just the act of playing—you never know. You you, you could play for a few hours and get another loot box. You don't have to pay for it, or you can pay for loot boxes too if you want. I rarely did that, Um, but it gave you the sense that—and people were so against loot boxes, you know. But it gave you the sense it's like, hey, I can play for like an hour and then I'll get a loot box, and maybe I'll get like the greatest thing ever. Um, so everyone was like, loot boxes suck, and stop with the loot boxes, and. So the evil industry was like, yeah, hold my beer. Here we go. The Battle Pass! Oh my God, the Battle Pass is the ultimate drag. It, what a joke. <coughs> when it comes to these games, the common wisdom was like, you can play if you want this valuable object, you can what they call the grind, you can keep playing and playing and slowly building up these resources, and eventually you might get it the loot boxes, maybe you'll get it right away, or maybe you'll have to, like, build up your uh, alternate currency supply. Eventually you can get it. Um, The battle pass is basically you pay money, and you have to play. So the idea was if you want that skin, you could either buy it outright for money or grind for it, but battle passes are like, you both pay and have to grind. Right? So... It's sort of like it only makes sense in a game you play a lot. So I gave up on pretty much all the ba- I used to do the battle pass in uh, Hearthstone. I stopped doing that completely. I did the battle pass in, uh, how do they call it, mastery pass in uh, <coughs> Magic Arena. I stopped doing that because I simply don't play enough to justify uh, doing it. And, of course, if you don't play enough, you still can pay again to get all the stuff you didn't get because you didn't grind enough. It's toxic. It's evil. It's wrong. I do the Battle Pass on uh, Marvel Snap just because I play it enough that I, I I get through the whole pass every time. So I do pay for one Battle Pass. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> but the Hearthstone... I mean, I mean, the Overwatch one was just such an absolute drag. It was... Uh, and, the, and so basically this is what happened when you bought the game they're like when you buy this game you get all future hero characters for free right seems like a good deal to me what they did is they discontinued Overwatch 1 they're like this game is, is done this game doesn't exist anymore now there's Overwatch 2 and now you don't get the characters for free you have to grind like you have to play so much if you want to get the character for free. And or you can pay to get the character. And I and I'm like, wait a minute, didn't I already buy this game? And they said I'm gonna get all the characters. oh, that was Overwatch One, not Overwatch Two. Right. You know, and it doesn't help that you can see everything that you will get in the battle pass. And most of it is is pointless junk that cosmetics that I don't care about one whit. So Yeah, it's kinda hard to care about it. And now the game is free to play. So, you know, there's all the stuff that comes with that, which is, you know, being a pay game, right, people wouldn't, like, now people can just go on there and act like complete assholes and then just dump it and get another account, whatever. I know they were requiring you to have a cell phone number at one point, but then that was controversial and they stopped it. I don't know. Anyway, so on the Hearthstone side, I think Hearthstone itself has b- has remained good. The expansions have been great. The cards is, have been great. <coughs> but they've been kind of uh, really failing in a lot of ways. Like they created this new game mode called Mercenaries a couple years ago that was complete drag and no one played it and then they shut it down. And uh, And then they had the classic mode that no one played and then they created the twist mode that no one's playing and they have a mode called Duels, and now they just announced they're going to shut that down in April completely. And Some people love Duels. I, I like Duels. I've played it now and then. Um, but they're really like sort of driving this game into the ground. I guess because the higher-ups in the corporation just want to make more and more money with it, and not sort of realizing right, that I think Blizzard as a company, before it was acquired by Electronic Arts, was very much about a high quality experience great games amazing amazing expansions everything was great so it created this reputation for the company that kept customers coming back and excited about new products etc and i think the corporate mindset doesn't consider that oh you're saying that by creating a great product somehow in this vague future people will keep coming back well we're caring about the profits this quarter so they they keep doing things that are making money in the short term but alienating the fan base in the long term. And that seems to be happening at a lot of companies, including uh, Hasbro that makes uh, you know Magic the Gathering and Dungeons and & Dragons and stuff. They keep making these decisions that are baffling self-destructive decisions but might make an- more money in the next three months but will certainly damage the company and the product in the long term. But I guess the way everything is set up the importance of making money in the next few months is so important that they don't care. They'll probably not even be with the company anymore when the damage is r- really comes back to haunt the company. So, and these are beloved creative IP, pro- you know, intellectual properties or products that are big parts of people's lives. Something like Magic: The Gathering that I dabble in. I mean, there's people whose whole lives are centered around that, and yet it's owned by this mega corporation that is. Uh, <clears throat> incompetently trying to, to uh, make more money in the short term no matter what it does in the long term and kind of damaging and destroying these products it is kind of sad to see but it's sort of what the market forces kind of uh, make happen and then of course in corporations the people that rise to levels of power are not people that are particularly talented or bright but they're people that are good at rising in power which may involve schmoozing, glad handing, throwing people under the bus and whatever else, you know there's a certain the tactics needed to rise in a corporation <coughs> right help you rise, but don't necessarily mean you're going to be uh, particularly good at running a company. It's kind of sad to see from the sidelines, but um, and so many of the people that work there have left, and this guy Ben Brode, he left Hearthstone and Blizzard to start uh, a company called Second Dinner and created Marvel Snap, a game that I do play every day, and it's really great. Hopefully that game won't fall victim to the same stuff. But, um, but in the earlier days of Hearthstone, the people that were streamers, like on Twitch back in the day, they would just sit and play Hearthstone all day long, and they'd get like thousands, tens or hundreds of thousands of viewers, and they became mini-celebrities in their own right being a Hearthstone streamer, because Hearthstone was so popular at one point. So this guy Raynad was one of these uh, streamers. Eventually, that was no longer lucrative because people stopped caring about Hearthstone you know, as much. But this guy Raynad created his own company, and I think it's called Tempo or something. And he's been creating this game for like five years now called The Bazaar. And so I've been sort of tangentially following it. And it, it just, it originally was going to come out in 2018. And it kept getting pushed back and pushed back and pushed back and changed and changed. <coughs> so, I'm, <coughs> so I'm really fascinated by that. And he's saying maybe this year, like the beta will come out at some point this year, maybe <laughs> towards the end. It's sort, sort of like an, auto ba- <coughs> an auto-battler. <coughs> <coughs> kind of like the Hearthstone battle, battlefields mode. Um Battlegrounds mode, which is an auto battler, which is actually really good. I do play Battlegrounds from time to time. Um, it has its own battle pass <laughs> inside that, distinct from the regular battle pass. Yeah. Anyway, so he he created the Bazaar. So I I, it's just fascinating. Like about a I guess it was like last year he he did a stream where he was playing the current version of the, the Bazaar, which doesn't necessarily look like that great of a game, but just this idea that. It's been pushed back and back and back. And will it ever come out? I find that really interesting. And finally, there's a game. Oh, maybe this is the game that was going to come out. T- n- so I don't know. The bizarre, I don't know when it was supposed to come out. But this game called UFO 50 was definitely going to come out in 2018. This is uh, from a company called Mossmouth, which created uh, Spelunky. You may have run into Spelunky or Spelunky 2. Really great uh, video games. Uh, platformers, roguelike platformers, where you're exploring these underground areas, and really good games. I've played them quite a bit over the years. Tough as, tough as nails game. Very difficult games, but good games. So UFO50 is essentially like a fictional, say, like N- NES or Nintendo Entertainment System <coughs> that comes with 50, 50, 50 games. So they're like, we're going to make 50 games in this one package, and it's going to be kind of like if you were a kid and you had a Nintendo you know, and you, you can try out all the games. So turns out making 50 games is not that easy. So now here we are six years later and they're still working on it and they're thinking it might come out in 2024. So what's going to come out first, the Hero Tribe device, the Bizarre game or UFO 50? I don't know, but it's, <coughs> I'll keep following all of them and it just sort of they they all sort of spring to mind every few months and I'm oh let me see about that oh still not out you know still still working on it anyway ooh look at this yes this has got to be it ooh this is from uh, canada i didn't realize i bought this from canada interesting from inner ocean records i guess they're a, dea- a record dealer that sells from b with nice so we can uh, check out this record Alright, let's open this up. Sealed with packing tape, so let me get the uh, utility knife to open that up. Yeah, I, I never knew about this record. Again, it's not a regular, it's a library record, so... Sound libraries as opposed to like a public library. Be very careful, I don't want to cut into the actual record. Where in Canada is this from? Calgary, Alberta. Oh, nice! Some uh, paper packet. It's like paper that's sliced up to be like a uh, a, a buffer, as opposed to styrofoam or something. It's more environmental, I suppose. <coughs> There it is, Moonshade, Music DeWolf. Man, I got so much cardboard. It's like another cardboard apocalypse. Recycling is tomorrow. Ooh, what was that? It is a little sticker of Inner Ocean Records. Some little fantasy character with little mushroom people holding a record. Great. You do a lot of times, get little stickers and packages like that. Yeah, here it is. It's reproduction. So what are they saying? The original would cost like around 200 British pounds. (coughs) Whoa. What the hell? Let's see, side one, sunshine, gentle eyes, heavy lace, yesterday, "Petal soft, coaster, gray sigh, and sweet thing. And side two, oh, it, it gives a description of what the music is like. So sunshine is light, rhythmic, gentle. Gentle eyes is soft and romantic, but not gentle, even though it's called gentle eyes. Heavy lace is pounding, unusual melody and harmonies. Yesterday is wistful, melodic, "Petal soft, light. L- Lilting 3 4. 3 4. 3 slash 4. What's that? The time signature? Uh, coaster. Bright. Bouncing. Movement. Gray sigh. Plaintive. Rhythmic. Sweet thing. Warm. Gentle rhythms. And side two we have cough drop. Cheery honky tonk style. Piano style. Moonshade. Soft delicate. Sapphire. Light fluid movement. Interweave, Rhythmic Light Urgency, Musette, Soft Intro and End, French Style Piano Middle Section, Reminiscence, Romantic Melodic Organ Feature, 7.30 for 8, Cool Cocktail Style Piano Feature, and finally Sparky, Brash Upbeat, Cover Design, Rolf Webster, and Recent Issues, he had... Afro rock, small band featuring brass and percussion, and vocal shades and tones, which apparently is... I haven't heard that one, but apparently that one is even more significant. Wide range of styles and sounds for voices. And it says here, Music DeWolf, these works specially designed as background music for film, television, and radio are from the DeWolf catalog of recorded music. A catalog of recordings on both tape and disc is available upon application to DeWolf Limited... London, England. Copyright 1971, 2023. Reissue is a Be With Records release, printed and made in Europe. So can I open this with this uh, shrink wrap here? This is pretty cool. Put it on the record player. Wow, oh, this shrink wrap this is annoying me. I hate when you're trying to pull it off and, like, little pieces come off in your fingers. It's, like, so annoying. Alright. Once you get it started, it's easier. Ah! It's annoying me. Yes! Kitties? Alright, let me go throw away this, uh, shrink wrap. I guess the shrink wrap will wind up in a landfill and probably take like 2,000 years to break down into its constituent atoms. Great. Yeah. All right, let's see what we got here. <clears throat> Vinyl records. All right, so do I get like a download code with this or anything? I don't think so. I don't think I get like a download code. <coughs> There's a sleeve. And the record is the black vinyl, the regular black vinyl, the red label, Music to Wolf. Let's uh, start on side two, because we were listening to side one before. And my little crappy You dreamer record. Ooh, what the hell? I got, like, electric shocks. Is this plugged in? How is my record player not plugged in? Hold on a second. This is... Awkward. Awkward. Is it this? Yes. Here we go. It's the record player. Great. This is not a good record player. I need. I need a better one. But <laughs> nice. I like it. I think it's this record player is causing it to skip. I think I need to like tape a penny to the arm, the the top of the tone arm here because I had this problem on another one as well. Oh god! And think that ones that are more in will be less susceptible to uh, to this phenomenon. I need a good record player. Sucks. Let's get one more selection here. This is bumming me out. I think when it's further in, it's uh, it's going at a different speed, right? It's going slower, so it's not as... Yeah. Right, so as they cut the record the speed of the sound is changing because the speed of the rotation is changing. And what's that, that last piece that's only like 39 seconds? Can we get to that one? No. I need a good record player. What's this last song called? Sparky. If I paid $300 for this, I really wouldn't want to play it on this crappy record player. Oh, come on. Really? But if I put a penny on there, it's going to m- be more wear on the records, right? I guess I, I could just shell out for a real record player, I guess. but I don't know. Everyone has to come to their own conclusion with their vinyl policy in life. It's not necessary. It's cool. But it's expensive and technically challenging and all sorts of things. Yep. Hit with the harsh reality of a crappy record player. Ah, what do you want? So, yeah, what's coming up this year here on Onsug Radio? Well, as I mentioned, I'm bringing back Tapeland, which in theory has an end point if I get through all the tapes I want to release. But there seems to be so many. I know it seems I've, I've done so many Tapeland releases, mostly from old cassette tapes, and l- last couple of years with the videos. But there's so much more, (laughs) but it's not like an infinite project because it's just my old tapes and, you know, my old, other old stuff. Um, There's got to come a point where I, I mean, I'm not releasing all of it. I mean, as as I mentioned, some of it's boring and pointless and not worthy of release in this context. But I'm going to try to make a big dent in in what's remaining this year of 2024, as there is a lot of great stuff in In my opinion, the aquarium rock gun being the first um, <clears throat> and beyond that, beyond all the stuff we've been doing, I'm going to keep doing all the same stuff here on nonsag radio that we've been doing uh the the final the one thing I want to really try and make some progress on is is uh, the listening experience right so we have this book now, and there's this uh implication that this book lists all of these audio shows, of which there's over 14,000 hours, and tells you where to find them on the Internet Archive, and I also have the local copies of everything, but what has remained kind of a uh, vague is sort of what is the listening experience? Uh, how do people listen, and what do people listen to? And now, if you're freshly introduced to on Radio, what would how would you approach it and I feel like it would be good to create a system by which to aid in this process and um, I know that my plans have always included some kind of an automated system that will make listening effortless that is you just start listening and probably starting off with an overview and then listening to clips from various different types of shows, different hosts and different time periods different topics and subject matter and then uh, as you find stuff that you're interested in, you can listen to the full show. So, like what I've done recently with uh, something called OnSoG Radio Previews I was able to produce um, a series of three and a half minute random clips from the entire archive that are introduced by a computer voice uh telling you know what 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 what's going to be played and uh i actually put that on the um the main archive page as to serve as an introduction and i think it's still just sort of in a concept uh phase where i think that on sug radio previews would sort of imply that you listen random clips when you find one you're interested in you ha- you would go yourself then to the archive and listen to that whole show as it does give you enough information in audio to tell what sh- what piece you're listening to but it would even with current technology it would certainly be potentially possible to put something together where you can listen randomly and then if you find something that you are interested in you can go listen to the whole show, then be brought back to the main level to start listening to more random stuff. And that would be one way of listening, you know. <clears throat> and it might not suit everyone. People might have different listening styles, right? Um, so it remains somewhat of undefined in terms of how to create a support system for listening to OnSoG radio, which, ex- you know, exists at many different levels. But I'm looking at using uh, AI technology, which I know has been vilified so much, but we really need it to sort of create a seamless listening experience to on-sub radio um, where the AI is keeping track of what you've listened to, what you've enjoyed, what you didn't like, and can constantly bring you to other parts of the archive. (coughs) <coughs> to form a sort of a seamless listening experience, which that technology is not available right now, though an automated system would be possible though it would be in the form of an app or something that <coughs> is a bit beyond me technically at the moment um, so to say that i don 't really have the answer to this question just yet, but that's some that is the only other thing that I really want to be working on in terms of a major new kind of proje- sub-project within OnSug Radio is to try to uh, not just the, technica- not that the technical side of it, but also the cultural side of it. Like, what is the listening culture going to be? Because I do feel that listening to OnSug Radio is something that can be incredibly uh, fulfilling, interesting, satisfying uh, for people and then once more people are doing it and talking about their own journey and, and what they're listening to, I think it's something that will sort of take off from there. Because we live in a world where there's content versus context is a huge thing, right? Um, there's, so the content is stuff that is the substance of the matter, no matter what it is. So in this case, it's the actual shows themselves. In the case of music, it would be the actual music itself. Uh, but the context is everything else the story behind the music right, the um, cultural phenomenon of the music and the look of the music and what the musicians are wearing right, so in a lot of ways it's hard to, to separate in our current in our pop culture environment the context from the content so uh, a lot of music today is a lot about the look of the singer, right? And the personality of the singer and how popular they are and how many followers they have on the various uh, websites, right? And uh, that's the context. So people lament a lot that there's like less content now, but more context in terms of the hype surrounding things. But there's actually the actual stuff itself is not that good. And I think this is uh, most, you know, or very starkly illustrated in the world of fine arts, right? Where um, rather than in the past where like a painting actually had a lot of content, it's now, a lot of it is all context. It's sort of like when you go in a museum and there's a blank painting, it's actually a painting hung on the wall, but there's nothing on it. It's, It's just the canvas itself. No one ever touched it. Or if they did, they just painted it white. There's museums that have multiple of these in the museum, and obviously there's no content. There's nothing there. I I get the joke, oh, here's a painting, but it's blank. The first person to do that, great, that's a a fun little observation about art, but let's move on. No, there's multiple of these. We went to that one museum, um, Dia Beacon, and they had rooms and rooms full of blank paintings, which is all context. There's no content. And, you know, when it comes to that, there's something very insidious about that kind of art where uh, the context is, a lot of it is just bullshit. It's just, it's not supportable by any content and it's just sort of this scam. How, you know, sort of, how 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 much can you get people to, oh yeah, this is great, it's brilliant because they don't want to be seen as stupid or they, or they don't want to be shunned from the group so they, uh, completely ignore the content and just sort of rely on the context. Um, it happens a lot, and this happens all over the place. Like sort of in the pyramidal tiered stru- organizational structures, like the military where you have a different rank, or in corporations where you have different ranks, You're you're a director, you're a vice president, all these. You're given a rank, which is context, not content. Right? And people sort of rely on the context given by these um, arbitrary levels of roles that you're given, right? Oh, you're a vice president. Oh, my God. It doesn't matter if the person can do anything. They're a vice president. That's the context, you know. As I was saying, usually the people that rise up in the ranks really just have a specialized skill for rising in the ranks and not for anything else. Pure context versus content. Um, But I would say with pop culture the context is also very important you know <clears throat> i mean there's music that's utterly obscure that no one ever heard of that might be great music but there's it's fun to think that you're part of a group of people that are appreciating something like with fish for example which i think has incredible contact, content in terms of the music it also has amazing context with this this adoring fan base and um, that really encourages further investigations in, into the music, and the history, and everything. That is an example of where context and content kind of mesh together into something good. Um, <clears throat> in Onsec Radio, here we have an imbalance: we have content, but very little context. Right. Um, whereas ultimately, I think it's probably better to have the content than the context we're We're lacking context, and it really shows, and that's sort of talking about a listening system is is to is developing context for the content. I know it doesn't help that those two words are so similar conte-nt, context is <laughs> just one letter off the x and the n yeah anyway so i'm I really want to work on that and uh you know figure out the best ways to um implement such such a thing. It's difficult, considering the nature of this project that <coughs> it is non commercial and it is everyone just does it in their spare time. I do think there are ways to to create a listening experience system that can help advance things even before the technology will allow for the full-blown AI listening system. You see what I'm saying? I hope you see what I'm saying. Because the content is strong. The context is not. See what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's difficult, but I do want to focus on that rather than anything else. Of course... My natural tendency would be to shy away from the difficult stuff and try and start new projects that are fun to do. But the the listening system stuff is not easy and not necessarily fun to work on, but it's vitally important for the project as a whole. Anyways, with that, I'd like to say thank you for patching in to this episode of The Overnightscape. There must be some kind of listening system because you're listening to this. Thank you so much for listening. I am Frank Edward Nora, your host here of the show The Overnightscape, episode number uh, was it 2081, known as, uh, what was today's episode called, Time, Time, why can't I remember the name of this episode, I'm actually sitting where the picture was taken, um, Electrical Novel Time, there you go, that's the name of today's ep- episode. Yeah, we're here and on OnSug Radio, broadcasting from inside the book. Just go to OnSug.com, dot com, OnSug uh, represents the Overnightscape Underground. It's sort of an acronym type thing. But it's using letters from within each of the portmanteau words. So, But it's still kind of an acronym. It's not a backronym, it's an acronym. <laughs> yes. Thomas Pinchon is very acronym crazy in his books. Is he ever going to have another book? still alive as far as I know. Write another book, man. One more. The last one, Bleeding Edge. That was a long time ago. No? Yes. Anyway. Oh, I found this uh, conspiracy theory about Thomas Pynchon that he's not really a person. He's like this he's like the books are created by this weird government agency and stuff. I have to, let me, let me make a note of that. I have to look into that. That's an interesting theory. Maybe we'll talk about that in the future. Thomas Pynchon. I forget where I saw that. Where did I see that? Conspiracy theory. Ooh. I ran out of space on my little note program here. <laughs> all right. Really? I, th- I, thought I, I thought I was doing all right. Anyways. Well, I'll try to find that. Anyway, um, yeah. So check it out. This project, OnSug Radio, is unique in many ways. We're non-commercial. We are very focused on preserving our work for people to listen to in both the near and far future. Um, Very unique style. And uh, everything is preserved. There's no project quite like OnSug Radio. So congratulations. You're one of the few people on Earth that knows about it at this point. And now you can take advantage and you can listen to so much stuff in the archive. Please do. Don't forget about Overnight Escape Central, which is coming back. Dave in Kentucky is taking the show over. And uh, actually tomorrow, the first of the new episodes is coming out. Maybe you still have time, if you're listening to this right after I released it, for the January 2024 episode with the topics... Fast food, the occult, and other bad ideas. I did my recording for it. (coughs) I had a lot of things to say about fast food, the occult, and other bad ideas. And hopefully you do too. I hope to hear from you on that show. Record your segment. It could be any length. And mail it to DaveKY at mail.com. That's D-A-V-E-K-Y at sign M-A-I-L dot C-O-M. Got it? Good. Please do. The show will be monthly from now on, and uh gives you plenty of time to record, and there will be multiple topics, so maybe you have nothing to say about fast food, but you have a lot to say about the occult. And maybe you have a lot to say about bad ideas. You, you can choose which one to talk about or talk about all of them as I did. <coughs> Please do it. Record and let us hear you say things about topics. Thank you now Mr. Vegas Champ the cat is on my lap hey kitty purring no giddy of course as I'm about to get up he sits on my lap so I'll have to sit here for a while (laughs) giddy yeah anyways now we're going to shift on over to a revolution in sound a collection of Amazing stuff. It's always different. It always sort of shares the same DNA as a conglomerate of sonic possibilities. Here it is The Other Side.
3: Job